0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com.
1: Today on Flying the Call, I'm incredibly stoked to be speaking with Matt Wilson, someone whose music is foundational to my love of the music I listen to today. We start off by discussing his most recent project, Near Dark. The band came together remotely as a pandemic project and released their first Silver Linings EP at the start of this year, with another EP on the way soon. Then we transition over to a discussion on the 15 year anniversary of Mutiny by Set Your Goals. has just as much energy, attitude, and relevance today as it did when it originally came out. We talk about its release, the band and fan reaction, touring, the music industry, and more. I think you'll really enjoy this one, so let's dive right in.
0: wanted to start with uh near dark which is basically kind of like a pandemic project and i'd love to hear kind of a little bit about how that came together
2: so my friend eric pressman uh i met him god i must have been about 12 or 13 years old going to hardcore shows in the bay area he was in a band called torment and uh we've you know kind of kept in touch over the years he moved he's moved around a few times um but he moved to upstate new york uh, eventually is where he landed. And uh he hit me up when set your goals started taking off and was like, Hey man, I, I love your, your band. And I don't know if you remember me, blah, blah, blah. And we, you know, we, we kept in touch. And then uh when the pandemic started, he, he hit me up and he was like, Hey, do you want to do a kind of similar band? I'm doing this band near dark. Do you want to sing in it? And uh, I, I checked out the songs. I was into it. So it kind of just things snowballed from there. And now we're writing for our second EP, so.
0: Nice. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, the, the lyrical style is, you know, kind of similar to Set Your Goals and that you have like a really clear message you're trying to get across, you know, whether it's like anxiety on New Normal or kind of like loss of trust on recklessness. I'm curious kind of what your approach is like for those songs. Um, I've always kind of just
2: taken whatever's on my plate at the moment in my life, you know, my personal life or whatever's on my mind as far as, uh, I guess, the political climate or the outside world, as a whole um, and just kind of written and, and pulled from what, what inspires me at the moment, you know, as far as what, what's just on my mind. So it's kind of took that approach with this project as well.
0: And how do it feel like being back in the studio, especially under, you know, such different circumstances, all things considered. Yeah. Um, you know, cause I,
2: I, I've since done, you know, between, our last record was set your goals. And now in near dark, uh, I had a project called chains as well. Um, And that was, you know, all close friends and, and actually my cousin, Tommy is, is in the group too on keys. And uh, this is totally different. This is like, I have only met one member of the band in person. And even though I've known him a long time, uh, you know, the other guys have only talked to over text and email. So that's been interesting. Everyone seems really cool though. Uh, And then just, you know, recording solo for vocals, you know, even with Chains, it was like we were all in the studio together for every step of the way. And uh, this is just, I'm going to, you know, a studio on my own and recording with a producer I haven't worked with and not a producer, I guess an engineer, but, you know, he kind of played double duty. That was a Scott Goodrich. And that, that was my first time recording with Scott but you know, it went fairly smoothly. It was, uh, it was cool. Scott's uh, we've met a few times over the years and he's recorded a lot of uh, my friends' bands and stuff like that. And, and Mike from Set Your Goals, his other project has has recorded with Scott as well. So I kind of knew him by proxy, I guess, and it went fairly smoothly.
0: <laughs> nice. And how did, as far as like the writing process, how did the fact that you weren't able to like all get together and jam it out, how did that kind of affect the, you know, the, the tone of it or the I guess just the overall kind of shape of it. The only real effect it had, I would say, is like
2: just kind of structuring the vocals because they're doing it on their end and then I'm doing it on my end and sometimes we have to make it work together. So I, I kind of went back to them with some of the songs and said, hey, can we can we lengthen this verse so that I can actually have room to fit the, the words in or can we repeat this chorus, you know, or stuff like that. But um, it's, it was pretty minimal, you know all the songs seem to kind of fit a basic quick punk rock song structure. You know, there's, there's not like a, I made some of them a little bit more resembling uh, like the, you know, typical verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge thing. But um, a lot of them are so short that uh, it it was kind of challenging to put to put any sort of structured vocals to them. So we had to expand them a little bit.
0: And I mean, I know you mentioned kind of being in the process of writing another EP, like when, when can we expect to see that? What else can we expect from near dark in the future? Yeah,
2: we're, um, we're recording. Uh, I think the 17th and 18th of this month in upstate New York. So I'm going to fly out there. Oh, nice. Um, and I would imagine it'll, you know, last time it took a little while to get mastered, mixed and mastered, but, uh, I'd imagine, you know, a couple months or something. <laughs> Everything's so lax now. It's like yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm working on some other stuff. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it yet, but you know, there's there's another uh song that I'm working on with someone that I'm singing on. And I've I've done, you know, I've done studio vocals before where I'm like doing a guest spot on other songs, but this is a unique thing where he's he's writing a whole album of songs and he's having different people sing on them. So um I'm doing that. As soon as that's as soon as I have the confirmation I'm allowed to talk about it I guess I'll I'll post something about it on Instagram or uh, so you know I'm keeping busy I've got my my creative outlet which is nice
0: <laughs> I mean I guess kind of like moving on to mutiny uh, first off I can't believe that it's been 15 years since this came out like how does that feel <laughs> I can't even,
2: feels old I feel old <laughs> <laughs> uh, the album feels old I mean it's it's 2006 I mean that's a long time ago.
0: Yeah, that was like, it was kind of one of the early albums that I got into, like when I first kind of branched out, like I grew up on country music and when I first kind of branched into rock, like seeing four Year strong on taste of chaos, I think it was 2009 maybe was like kind of a defining moment. And then like seeing, uh, getting into mutiny after that was like one of the the early albums that like really did it for me.
2: <laughs> That's cool. That's awesome to hear, man. It's, it's cool that people still remember that as an important album for them. And, you know, that it helped shaped other, other people's musical endeavors.
0: Yeah. I mean, while I was doing some research, I kind of got like a better understanding of just how polarizing it was in some parts of the scene, because I was like, so new to it. I didn't really like personally see that at the time. I'm curious, what are like some of your recollections of that aspect and like kind of where you stand on it now?
2: Absolutely. It was polarizing for people.
0: Um, at a couple of different
2: points, it pivoted a few times. So you know, I grew up going to primarily hardcore shows in the Bay Area, and uh, we were, you know, nine twenty four Gilman was a very big part of that. And you know, I, I grew up going to Gilman Street, and that crowd was who all my friends were. And you know, when we started playing shows, we would play there, and uh, eventually it was it was kind of a point of contention because we were distributed by a major through Eulogy. I think they were on. It was a red distribution. I can't remember now, but there was some sort of major distro, and that was like a conflict of interest. So we had to go to like a Gilman meeting and prove that we were punk enough to play Gilman, quote unquote. And uh, you know, everything was okayed, and we we played there again. And then you know, their 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 rules loosened, I guess, over the years, and uh, they started allowing bigger bands to play. And but we noticed that you know once we started doing bigger tours you know we did we did our first like kind of big club tour like at a house of blues size venues with less than Jake in in 2006 or seven and uh that really was a turning point for us because we started noticing a larger number of women at our shows and uh the the hardcore kids still came out but when we would play hometown shows kind of like i guess the hardcore kids stopped showing up in droves you know it wasn't just hardcore kids anymore it was now just a bigger audience as far as uh, a collective pool of types of people (laughs) you know people's people's musical tastes expanded outside of hardcore and those those were the people who were coming to our shows so there was that Uh, and then there was also you know on the internet which I attribute to our success at the time know we put our demo up on hardcore mp3.com which was based out of the bay area and uh it kind of took off we got all these requests to kind of tour in different cities from different people and promoters and stuff but uh i remember there was this pivot like the bridge nine board there was so much hype for our band that like anyone who was like oh i don't know they're just like a Okay to me, like even if you said something like that, it was like you would get torn apart. Everyone's like, "Are you kidding me? This is the best band ever!" Blah blah blah. And I was like, "That's just not true." Like as as someone in the band, I was like, "Wow!" Like the bar is low. Like that, I, I felt like you know when we got out of the studio, we loved what we we wrote, but we felt like the the recording was kind of unpolished, and we kind of wanted it to be a little more polished. You know, we were looking for a producer who could do the the pop side of things because we had the punk side down you know what i mean and instead we we didn't go with that we went with barrett jones and he had done grunge bands you know he did the first foo fighters record and he had worked with kurt cobain and stuff like that and we're like man i don't know i don't know if this is uh the, the direction we want to go in but for the next record we do want more of a polished sound and uh the kids loved it anyway and so we were like, wow, is, is this hype real? Or is it just hype? You know what I mean? Is it just like a trend? So it really felt like it was just kind of hype. Not not that it wasn't deserving. It, it just, it felt like we were getting more than we deserved in terms of hype. And that then I remember once we had kind of like sort of jumped the shark to the hardcore community, you would go on the Bridge Nine board and it, was, it had done a complete 180. It was like, kids would be like, there'd be like a thread about us and everyone's bashing us. (laughs) Oh, they sold out or whatever. And then there'd be like a kid going, yeah, I don't know. I still like them. And I always will. And everyone would just tear them apart. (laughs) It was like, ah, how the tides have turned.
0: Yeah. I, you mentioning like putting the demo up and kind of getting hype around that. I, I, the other day I watched, I think it was maybe Mike uploaded the video for the first two set your goals shows that you ever played on YouTube a few years ago. And like, it was crazy seeing like people, you know, super into it already, like singing along.
2: Oh, yeah. I remember uh, we played the Alpine Theater in Tura, California, and there's a video of that on YouTube. It, that's probably the most stage dives I've ever seen at any show. I, I remember I, we tried counting them on tour one time and it was like, we just like stopped counting after like a hundred or something. It was like bonkers. Like our set wasn't that long. It was 20 minutes. Like. It's, it's a lot. Those were really, really fun shows. Though.
0: <laughs> and another thing that kind of surprised me was seeing a lot of people calling Mutiny overproduced, which I feel like, especially by today's <laughs> standards, is like kind of a reach.
2: <laughs> yeah, I agree.
0: Can you talk a little bit more about kind of like that refinement of sound between Reset and Mutiny and kind of what role the, the studio and working with Barrett-Jones had on it?
2: Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Like, like you were just kind of conveying, like I couldn't disagree more. Like it's, it's not overproduced by today's standards, at least. And really wasn't even then, Uh, you know, we, we went from a recording studio that was set up in a basement below like a laundromat or whatever it was. And uh, the next place we went to was like a real studio and it was with Mike Green who had, you know, recorded paramore and like you know uh this super poppy pop punk band that we loved uh from southern california called over it and he had worked with uh what was the other band from the bay area um the matches you know um these are huge artists at least to us in the hardcore world you know which just where we all came from uh, so it was a big step up and it was a lot more polished, but it was what we wanted. And, and he was really helpful on the producer end of it as well, because he was, he was able to bring a lot to the table. Mike Green is a fantastic producer. He's still my favorite person to work with when it comes to recording vocals, he went above and beyond. He, he's great. He, he can take like a, he can just take like a regular demo song and it doesn't sound like anything special and just whip it into a, a top 10 radio track. You know, I, I think since then he's. Written songs for All Time Low and Paris Hilton and and all these huge artists. So, nice. <laughs> and
0: then and another thing that I kind of like learned was that you know the demos that are now on like the deluxe edition were kind of industry you know leaning demos that kind of leaked and fans kind of started encouraging you to play the songs live and you know once the album was out a lot of them were saying they liked the demos better. Uh, I'm curious, like, what the leak, what kind of effect the leak had on the band and, like, was it overall, like, a positive or negative thing?
2: I think it was positive. It was kind of frustrating that those leaks because it was like, okay, now kids are asking us to play them at shows and the album's not even out yet or whatever. But we recorded those with Zach at Castle Ultimate, which is where we recorded our our demo demo, like, Reset. And uh, he had, he was more of like a metal, metalcore kind of production style. So, you know, you've got like the triggered drums and everything sounds really polished and like quantized. It's a lot less punk rock. So it's like funny, we went from that, it was very like low, he just did it on a low budget, but it sounded big. So we went from this like polished metal guy to like this grunge guy and then back to the polished like pop guy. So yeah, I think when, when Mutiny did finally come out, I felt like the demos sounded more polished than the album versions, <laughs> which was interesting.
0: Yeah, and how does that like affect the way that you kind of view it now? To
2: me, I, I've always liked Zach's recordings. I'm a huge metalhead. Like, I grew up listening to a lot of metal, and I, I just love the way his recordings sound. So I've always had a soft spot for those demos, and I, I feel... A little disappointing because they sort of slipped through the cracks you know they didn't ever really make it down to a release other than the deluxe edition of mutiny but by the time that came out it was like nobody bought cds anymore so no one knew where to find these things Uh, i think they're probably on spotify now maybe but i don't even know that people know to know to look for them or or even care (laughs) but yeah that's that's the way that went down
0: uh, one of the things that like really stands out to me about mutiny is kind of the, the structure of the album, you know, three tracks under a minute and the kind of nonstop flow of energy from song to song and songs that don't necessarily follow like the verse course, verse pattern. Um, how intentional were like things like that? And like, was making an album album a goal going in?
2: Yeah. I know Jordan is, you know, Jordan listens to, really sugary pop music and movie scores. And I know he really was toying with the idea of writing a rock opera. He wanted every song to kind of like flow into the next one. And it really does give the album like a coherent theme. It's like a very linear process, right? It's like, it's a linear record. You listen to it and you put it on and it's quick anyway, so you just have it go start to finish. Which is cool because I think you know, the tracks are standout, standalone tracks on their own, but uh it it is more enjoyable to listen to all the way through and a a lot of it is also just preparation we've always been kind of an underprepared band when it comes to going into the studio but at that time we weren't I think I think we did put work into some of the writing beforehand at least a lot more than we did on burning at both ends (laughs) or this will be the death of us for that matter yeah we, we do a lot of in the studio writing
0: Talking about this will be the death of us. I know kind of in a lot of the interviews that I was reading, you were saying how you kind of were pushing off, uh, you know, starting to write and record another album because you really wanted to push Mutiny to like a bigger crowd and like, you know, kind of really focus on touring in that way. Looking back, is that do you feel like that was the right decision or uh, would you do it the same way if you had the chance to do it again?
2: Yeah, I think it benefited us a lot. It exposed us to a lot. And we were at a, a period of our band's life cycle where we were kind of learning a lot and and understanding how the touring world works and how the music world works. And at, especially at a different level than we had always known it to be, you know, we, we had always just kind of known local shows and learning what touring was like and learning what these like big pop punk bands who did their band as a job did uh, was, was huge for us, you know? So that would, I would say that was beneficial. You know, you see bands that just put out an album every year and it just sort of becomes a little less special when they put out a release, but also you don't want to wait too long. Right. So we did that too. (laughs) You know, you see some bands wait five, seven years between records and a lot of the fans forget, and then they have to just tour Europe perpetually because Europe never forgets. (laughs) Uh, But in the States, uh, you know, Kids are spoiled. They got tours coming through all the time, and they got a million bands, and uh, you gotta fight harder to keep their attention. So, but yeah, uh, the, the problem with that whole situation was that you know we didn't really write on the road. It was like we would just be too distracted, so we really had to stop and devote time at home to write. And some bands can write on the road, but we've just never been. Banned.
0: <laughs> uh, uh, Work in progress is kind of one of the one of my favorite tracks on the album. I think it does like a really good job at describing the kind of mentality I try to have in life. And I feel like it's, you know, a really evergreen message as well. Could you talk a little bit about that song and kind of how you view it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's funny you point that one out. Uh, I kind of borrowed that some of those ideas from there's uh, from, from a record label called Ebullition and uh, they're like an old hardcore label from the mid nineties based in, I guess, I guess what it would be considered central California. I think they're based in Galita or something, but uh, yeah, this, this, uh, older straight edge guy ran the label and uh, he put out a record called um, by a band called portraits of past. And that's the band that was my introduction to hardcore and emo, which is now called screamo. Cause it's, uh, you know, screamier emo and emo sort of became the vagrant record stuff. And then it became warped tour stuff. But anyway, um, yeah, my my best friend growing up was uh taking surf lessons in Half Moon Bay. And his instructor was one of the members of Portraits of Past, and he he handed him an LP. And he's like, Oh wow, like a vinyl record, like cool, let's check this out. And we put it on, and I'm like, Whoa, this is so cool. Like, you know, he he had friends uh who, who had gone to Gilman Street, you know, when we were in like middle school and, and fifth grade, even fourth, fifth grade. And uh, we had always been kind of curious about it. And he's like, oh, I think this band plays Gilman Street. They're called Portraits of Past. Maybe we should go over there sometime and check out some bands. And, and that, that was really the catalyst for, uh, for us going over there. But sorry, I, I digress a lot. I'm going on a TV. <laughs> no, engineer. you're good. But anyway, that was an Ebullition Records release. And uh, I had this, um, it was either in the Portraits of Past record or it was in the triple X comp Uh, that they put out but there was a little slip and this is what made this label so cool it was everything was very personalized you could get two different copies of the same release and they would have different little inserts in them or like the layouts would look different and stuff because the guy just did it all by hand this guy Kent McClard and uh, he had these little slips and it was like just the poetry and stuff that he had written or or writings or just cool stuff they had found places and it was almost like a little zine that would come with your record and I remember there was this one about just kind of seizing the moment and uh, life kind of being about the process and not the result. And so I, I really liked that line. so I, I use that as inspiration for the lyrics to that track, just uh, really just, you know, some, some carpe dm kind of, uh, <laughs> kind of things going on there, but you know, you, you know, life's really short. You gotta, you gotta seize the opportunities you have while they're around. And I remember, that when we were writing that that was a crucial time for our band we were like do we go on tour do we not you know we had to we had to sit down with all our parents and tell them we wanted to tour and you know college will be there when we get back but this opportunity won't and we really just got to jump on it just because we need to know and I, I don't regret a second of it
0: and I mean, you said it was interesting that I brought up that song. I'm curious why you thought that.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's why. <laughs> Cause a lot went into that. Song. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha.
0: <laughs> and then obviously, you know, a core part of mutiny is kind of addressing like those claims of kind of selling out, like you mentioned earlier, and also kind of speaking out against bigger players in the industry who kind of exploit young and passionate bands for their own financial gain. And, I think it's kind of a little bit ironic kind of what was happening with eulogy and how they kind of took advantage of set your goals at the time. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: (laughs) We thought they were something different than what they were. And I also feel like, you know, looking back now, I feel our expectations were a little high as well. You know, we're looking at this like little hardcore label and even though they're fronting like their, their victory records, they're more like a, A baby victory records they're like victory records without all the money and resources so we expected a victory records kind of experience and we got (laughs) we got the negative aspects of it i mean we got ripped off but uh uh, we didn't get we didn't get the quite get the promotion or the the number of eyes that we would have gotten on our and ears on our music and on our band as we would have if we were on victory records because we saw these victory bands and you know they were in like Hot Topic, and on MTV, and all this stuff, and uh, we weren't, and they, you know, we, we befriended them, we went to their offices, and, you know, we met all their staff, and it was like, oh, you know, we met this guy, this guy Anthony, and we were like, we really clicked with him, and we were like, he was running their uh, their mailroom kind of web store stuff, all the, all the merch that he was, that was being shipped out for the label, and he was like, man, you guys are like, Number two seller, pretty much in our web store, and uh, I can't keep your stuff on shelves. And they're they're giving you these these merch reports, and they're not real. They're they're falsifying the amount of merch they're selling, and they're not paying you guys. They didn't pay us anything. It was always always being recouped, so they said. And uh, you know, we sold I think forty or fifty thousand copies of Mutiny, and never got a dime. They never cut us one check for any shirts, any CDs, nothing. So um, th- I think the only check we got was for recording for an advance, um, if I remember correctly. So yeah, that was a, <laughs> that was a rude awakening uh, and, and a, and a harsh intro to the music business for us. And we knew after that came out, you know, we'd been touring for a few years off of it. We were like in this weird state of limbo. Cause we were like, we can't put out another record or eulogy. Like a uh, the relationship had gotten so bad that it like, man, they're, they're just going to bury the record out of spite. And then it's just going to not get the exposure it needs for us to survive as a band. So someone's going to have to buy us out. And he had spitefully even set the buyout price to like a ridiculous amount of money. I don't remember what it was. I'm like the worst guy with this stuff. I, I think
0: the number quoted online is like 125,000. <laughs>
2: Sounds about right. Uh, and then we, you know, our manager, bless his heart, (laughs) Keith, uh, found us a label and Epitaph was willing to do it. And, uh, I think their stipulation was that they were going to find, um, some sort of publishing, uh, to kind of recoup the money in that way. And they did. And it, it worked in our favor as well, because, uh, even though it went to the label to pay them back for this huge buyout, uh, it really catapulted our band to a new level. Like they put us on the Madden video game, which is the top selling sport video game of the time, uh, which was incredible. You know, we were in like Madden commercials and stuff, which was awesome. Uh, even though none of us, I mean, I mean, Dan, Dan loves football, but I mean, pretty much almost the whole band outside of, you know, Mikey and junior loving baseball uh, and Dan loving football, like almost the whole band doesn't care about sports. Like, at least half of us just d- did not care especially football very <laughs> least like uh yeah we're not football fans really but it was just funny and ironic and a cool thing that kind of save as a part of our band's history
0: yeah and it's kind of funny too how like the the smaller label had kind of what you were speaking out against on mutiny but then the the bigger label that you ended up on was kind of you know it sounds like it's kind of the opposite of that in a way. Yeah, they were
2: the good guys. You know, they they cut us checks. They were fair. they they care about the artists because, you know, Brett is an artist and he he's he's struggled and he, you know, he's been doing this for decades. Has been playing in bands. So, yeah, he's he's a really fair businessman, and we we appreciated our experience with them <laughs> for sure.
0: And have those experiences kind of uh, changed the way you look at kind of like the message behind Mutiny now?
2: No, it's still there. All that stuff's still in the music world. I'm just glad we didn't have to put up with it for our second label as well as our first. (laughs) (laughs) Technically, our third label instead of our second because we were on straight on records in the beginning, which was
0: just our friend Derek's label. Uh, And then Echoes is like another hard hitter on the album, both musically and lyrically. And it also has like a pretty high concept music video, which I actually just saw has over a million plays on YouTube, which is kind of crazy oh, really? to me. Yeah. That is cool. Yeah. Like the one for mutiny has like 45,000 or something like that. So it's like really crazy. But like, what do you remember most about that song or that video?
2: Um, We did it once again on a budget, but we made it look pro. Um, Yeah. Shout out to the, to the guys that directed that one. They, yeah, they killed it. They, they thought of all these cool inventive ways to make it look pro i mean they had this like cardboard box that they drilled a bunch of holes in and then shined lights in and had a smoke machine and it just looked so cool and then we had all these photos of people and uh, whatever what i remember the most about that whole experience was just the way it affected the fans i've never seen one of our songs strike such a chord so deeply with with our listeners um and it really showed like it, it, to this day like anytime we've played a show in recent history like someone will come up to us and be like man echoes really really spoke to me and it was really helpful in coping with a, a loss that I had so you know I think that really resonated with people
0: and one of the like OG reviews that I read kind of hinged around the idea of mutiny as like a summer record it said you know it was like it's best defined as a cd you can put on and feel inside what's going on outside and attach memories to each tune And I feel like that does a really good job of like putting into words my own attachment to the album as well. I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that take and kind of hear some of the memories that you have strongest attached to either specific songs or like the album as a whole. I agree.
2: Um, We always seem to end up recording in the winter, but uh, (laughs) the records always come out in the summer. And I feel like that record with a certain age group really represents a special time in their lives and those those are the records that end up meaning the most to you you know it's just you remember like your freshman year of college all the records you were listening to and how you you love them so much for the rest of your life after that right um so our favorite records always end up representing a time and place in our lives and I feel like that did that did that for a lot of people
0: what are some of those ones for you
2: for me, uh, I, I've also read that like you're, it's like an age group. It's like 18 to 20 or 18 to 22 is like the formative years of like your music tastes. Um, some of those for me are the same, same time period for me, you know, like my first year of college, I was listening to a lot of, I don't know, a lot of hardcore. I was going to a lot of hardcore shows. You know, I was seeing bands like carry on and, the Hope Conspiracy and American Nightmare and Converge, you know any any tour that would come through around that time. I think I went to I went to Terrorist first show around that time, uh, and then as far as albums, I mean that first Further Seems Forever record. I remember that really being a big one around that time for me. Seven Angels Seven Plagues, like a lot of like metalcore stuff. Um, Man, what else was I listening to then? I don't know. There's there's so many, and I'm so old now. <laughs> that was 20 years ago. I mean, yeah,
0: but that's all that comes to mind. Is those two records right now? One of the kind of you know main things that stands out about set your goals is the fact that you have two lead singers, and I think it has it makes like for a really interesting back and forth. Can you talk a little bit about kind of you know that style and how uh, it changed, like how it affected like the way you wrote.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we were able to get a lot more creative with our vocal parts just because we could layer and harmonize, um, which was unique, I feel, for pop punk. You know, pop punk's usually very simple. Um, we also wanted to do the pop punk with breakdowns thing. So we wanted to do a few things to stand out. And I remember uh, when we first started out and we were picking up steam on the Internet, um, Pete Wentz hit us up and brought us onto his bus and he gave us like a little pep talk about, you know, the music industry and kind of gave us a crash course into how we should proceed, I guess, with the career of our band. And uh, he was like, you know, I I just don't, I really want to sign you to my label. I just don't know if the two singers thing is marketable. And we're like, well, it's absolutely non-negotiable. I mean, it's (laughs) what sets us apart from other bands. We don't want to write all the songs about relationships. We don't want to have one singer. We don't want to like, we don't, we didn't want to fit the cookie cutter mold in any way if, if we had any say in it. So we did our best to actively stray from
0: that <laughs> yeah and i think it also it led to leads to like a really interesting dynamic in the live show like you're kind of both able to be hype men at the same time in yeah, a way.
1: yeah
0: and i think probably leads to some of that craziness you were talking about earlier like with all the stage dives uh can you talk a little bit about that aspect of the band as well
2: yeah i think definitely it, it adds to the energy you know just more people on stage like you see a band like Less Than Jake, for example, they've got like so many people on stage just running around and it really adds to the buzz when you're when you're seeing a band live. And that's really what seeing a live show is about. You know, you're going to see a performance. You're not going to see them stand there and play the record. You can just listen to the record at home. And and especially now that they stream everything, you know, the, the pandemic has really shown you like, at least it's shown me like wow, this is not the same streaming, streaming a show online. It's, it's nice that we have that at least, you know, we didn't always have it, but it's not the same. And if I'm going to go just see a band stand there and play their album, like I might as well be streaming it online. But the difference between that and a stellar live show is, is performance and, and energy. And so when a band is able to just go off, it's just so much more enjoyable. You, you really do as a performer and as a as a member of the audience, you're you're really feeding off each other's energy.
0: Yeah, one of the things that's kind of been on like the uh, internet discourse lately has been, you know, the idea of live shows coming back and, you know, accessibility too, as far as like, you know, streaming, continuing to be an option or not. And I think like, it seems like some people are kind of afraid of streaming, like cannibalizing the live show. But I feel like, you know, it's a very, like someone who chooses to stream, instead of going to a live show, like most likely wouldn't go to a live show anyway.
2: <laughs> I agree. I think uh, it's, it doesn't even compare.
0: It, it's no threat, <laughs> in my opinion. Apples and oranges almost, you know? <laughs> for sure. And, uh, you know, the last thing that said your goals released was kind of that double single recorded with Newfound Glory. And I know you're supposed to kind of enter the studio with him for a full album. And also around that, the Mutiny 10-year tour, you were, you were teasing new music as well. I'm curious where was anything from either of those writing sessions ever put to tape and like kind of where does the band stand now? Yeah, we did those two songs with Chad and that was the most prepared
2: we had been going into the studio in 10 years. <laughs> we, uh, we really like took a couple days for pre-production and that really made a difference. And I think the, those two songs were very well reviewed. You know, we have been, it was really redeeming for us because we had come off of Burning of Both Ends, which was like a Frankenstein kind of record. And uh, we, we did these two songs and everyone loved them. Like It was like, wow, these got great reviews across the board. I, I just wish more people heard them. Um, I, I feel like a lot of our, our fan base didn't really even know that that little EP two song thing came out. Um, but we're very proud of it. I think those, those songs turned out great and they're a lot of fun to play live, even though, you know, maybe 25% of the crowd just scratches their heads like, oh, I've never heard this song. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, um, we did have a third song written for that. I think it was just instrumental though. We didn't get the vocals done in time or the leads or anything. So, you know, Jordan's got like a full length, full of songs. And that's one of them, uh, done. And he and Mikey were jamming at, I guess the beginning of the pandemic. And then Jordan got a job. Mikey moved to Sacramento I I don't know that they've been practicing lately. It's just kind of (laughs) like we're all old and just, it's not really a priority for everyone anymore. Uh, So I can't say whether or not those songs will ever see the light of day or if we'll ever put out another record, I would love to do it. Uh, It's just, I'm only one person. And, you know, people ask me this probably three times a week still like when, when are you guys putting out new records, new music, whatever. And uh, I don't have the answer. I'm one sixth of that equation. So <laughs> uh, I am all for it. Sign me up. I would love to know too. <laughs>
0: nice. And then, you know, I always like to wrap up the show the same way, which is by asking for a piece of advice or something you've been thinking about lately, whether it's music or life or whatever else that you just wanted to share. Advice
2: or things I've been thinking about. Um, man, you're putting me on the spot here. My brain is not, I'm not firing on all cylinders today. I haven't had my microdose. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I just, I just, if, I guess it's just like something that's been on my mind is just uh, be be gentle with each other. I feel like there's not enough of that in the world lately and not to sound like too much of a hippie here, but I, I think this whole pandemic thing has really taught us that we need to do that. And Uh, you know, especially with the, the political landscape, I think people are, the, the veil has kind of been lifted by this whole pandemic thing. And, and it's really shown that we're not just left and right anymore. It's not, it's not like there's two sides. Sides aren't real, you know, why fight your neighbor? Like if, if there's any sides, it's, it's, it's a class war more than anything rather than left and right in politics. And, uh, you know, your neighbor is not your enemy. You know, if we wanna <laughs> if we really wanna make some real change, we gotta kinda band together and make it ourselves. So uh, yeah, be be gentle with each other.
0: And then I mean, is there anything else that we haven't hit on about either need near dark, or anything else that you you know really wanna get out there? Um,
2: keep an eye out, you know, for the for the new near dark release. I think now that shows are gonna become what looks like a thing again. You know, look, keep an eye out for some festivals and tours. I'd really like to do that with Near Dark and, and explore that as well. It's it's a really fun project for me, and I, I just want people to know it exists. So follow us on Instagram.
1: <laughs> Hell yeah. I love me some Set Your Goals. If you haven't listened to Mutiny in a while, go spin it now and get your bedroom wash on. And be sure to keep your eyes peeled for news on the next Near Dark release. That's something I'm really looking forward to as well. We're now less than a week and a half away from episode 100, a brand new theme song, and the two-year anniversary of Fly in the Call. There's two more episodes headed your way this week, and next week there's going to be five, so don't go anywhere. Fly in the Call is brought to you by Sound Talent Media. A special thank you as always to the alternative for helping promote the show, Kaylin West of Tiny Stills for the theme song, and Michaela Jane for the artwork. You can keep up to date by subscribing to the podcast and following the show on Twitter and Instagram at Fly in the Call Pod. Feel free to email any questions, comments, or other feedback to me at flyinthecallpod at gmail.com. Remember, life is a constant work in progress, and I wouldn't have it any other way!